Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, it's, a, it's a big day. It's, a, it's Rosh Chodesh Elul, the first day of the month of Elul. And we just uh, blew the shofar for the first time, so um, it's really Zan, as they say in action movies. Um, today is the day that uh, Moshe uh, went up to Mount Sinai to receive the, the second tablets, um, the second Luchos, and he comes down 40 days later, which is uh, Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is this incredibly happy day because this is the day when Moshe comes down from Mount Sinai with, with the tablets. This is the second time. Remember, the first time he came down, he smashed them. The second time, this is, this is, today, this is on Yom Kippur. That's, uh, these are the ones that we still have. And by the way, everyone should know that the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, this amazing Ark uh, that contains the tablets, still exists. It's still, it's still around. Um, the, the Talmud records that uh, it was hidden in the, in the catacombs, in this labyrinthine maze underneath, way down underneath, below Harabayas, which is where the Western Wall is today. So way, way, way down there, it's still there. And it's, it's an amazing thing that if, if any of us knew where it was right now, we could walk there, and uncover the golden ark of the covenant with with the with with the tablets with the script written by the finger of Hashem, right? A- anamorphically speaking, he doesn't. God doesn't have a finger, but we. God gives us this language so we can kind of wrap our mind around certain concepts. So, so 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 they're still there. They're still there. Now I want to talk about something, um, which is. We, we started to get into it a little bit last week, but I, we didn't really get to the, the main point, unfortunately. So let's do it right now. You see, there's a lot of discussion when Moshe goes up today, the second time. He brings up the... God says, okay, get two stones, and you're, we're going to use these as the second tablets, and make an ark. And you're going to, you know, you're going to put the tablets in the ark. And there's a whole discussion about that and the order in which he did it and comparing it to Betzalel later on, who makes the golden ark, which is the more permanent ark. Anyway, it's a whole discussion. But the point is, is that there's a lot of discussion about this ark that Moshe was supposed to make when he goes up the second time. What's so fascinating is, I realize that by the giving of the Torah the first time, there's no mention of the ark itself. Which is curious, and we gave reasons for that before. If you're interested, you can listen to last week's talk, which is called Gyroscopes Within Kaleidoscopes, right? Which was like years of thinking boiled down to one piece of imagery. But um, we can pursue it further. But, but right now, let's just, just sort of like marvel for a moment at the fact that this arc that the tablets are supposed to go in plays such a big role the second time around that the first time around, there's no mention of the arc itself. Now, let's go a little bit further. After the first tablets were smashed, do you know where they eventually went? And the answer is they went into that second ark. The tablets from the second ark went into this golden ark that, that Betzalel made, which is a much grander, you know, more elaborate ark. So that kind of freed up that second ark. And inside that second ark went the broken tablets. Now, 
based on that, I, I want to say the following. You see, wh why is it? Why is it that that no ark was asked for that first time? And isn't it interesting also that no ark was asked for it the first time, and the ark and the and the tablets were smashed that first time? So based on that, I want to say the following, which is that we didn't have vessels to receive those first tablets. You see, an ark is a vessel. An, a, a vessel is something that holds something. The ark is something that holds something. The Jewish people just it didn't, they, somehow we didn't have a vessel to hold that great light at that period in our spiritual journey. We just didn't have it yet. So let's make it real because I'm talking about all of us. Sometimes there are certain opportunities that come to you in life that for whatever reason you're just not ready for them when they come. You know what that means? That means you don't have the vessels to hold that light. Think about it just from a historical standpoint. You have the Jews are in Egypt and for approximately 400 years, 210 years of hard labor, that's generations, they're about to be obliterated. We are about to be obliterated as a people by the servitude, by the slavery of Egypt. And then all of a sudden, like plagues start coming, like Moshe appears on the scene, plagues start coming, things start getting like, like all of nature starts getting rearranged. The sea splits. And then God gives us this, this sort of like this code book of, of how to live our lives. That was very exacting and very personal. Like meaning like certain things that were like, you know, going from like the way we conducted business to the way we conducted our intimate lives very comprehensive set of instructions that we were getting all of a sudden. Now imagine you were one of those people, like going through that. I think that it would have been very, very hard. See, like from a distance we look back and go, oh look, it's God. Clearly, he's making all these miracles. Obviously there's a God. Obviously he runs the entire world. Whatever he wants to do, he's saving us. Let him, you know, we want to do whatever he wants us to do. And by the way, eventually we got to that place. But let's just take it step by step because remember, we didn't hold on to those first luchos. Those first luchos, those first tablets got smashed. We didn't, in a very deep sense, have vessels to hold them. So now let me give you another way of viewing that experience from an individual standpoint, which is, I'm a slave, I'm a slave suffering for hundreds of years and all of a sudden God shows up? Where was he? And now he wants me to do X, Y, and Z? Like, I don't even know how to absorb this because God seems to be God because he's rearranging all of nature. And yet, where was he? And now he wants me to do all of these things. I don't even know how to absorb these two ideas. I've been a slave my, my whole life. My parents have been slaves their whole life. 
Can you see how it's not so simple? Again, in retrospect, we read the book and we're just flipping pages. You know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I, this is something I came up with at one point in my life, which is, which is that um, I noticed that people do this, which is like they think, anyway, I'll just tell you the phrase, time flies when it isn't you. <laughs> like, for instance, like someone says, uh, Oh yeah, what year are you in college? Oh, I graduated. Really already? Wow, time flies. Yeah, you didn't do four years of term papers and you didn't do, uh, you didn't pay four years of tuition. Yeah, for you it's very nice, time flies. For me, I, it, it, time didn't fly, you know? So when you're turning the pages in the Chumash and you're just like seeing hundreds of years pass and then all of a sudden it's, like, it's a no-brainer. God is God. Why are you rebelling against him in the desert? Why can't you get it straight? But if you're in the desert and you actually were a slave and your parents were slaves and all of a sudden God shows up, it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard to, to, to absorb this. Or, to go back to our phrase, we didn't, we didn't fully have vessels yet. We didn't fully have vessels yet to receive what the reality of the world was yet. So now, now, now things change. Now things begin to change. You know, the Ishbitzer Rebbe says, I, I heard this in the name of Reb, from Reb Shlomo. He says that sometimes you don't appreciate the importance of something, the value of something, unless it's taken away from you. If it's taken away from you, then all of a sudden you realize how valuable it is. So, in this way, the Ishbitzer understands on some level that the design was always for those first tablets not to stay with us so that we should be able to appreciate the value of the Torah. And remember, this psychological insight that I'm giving to you, that we didn't have vessels the first time, and because, you know, the orientation of what, from the slave's point of view, right? Don't you think God knew that? Of course God knew that. So, you know something? He gives us the Torah in stages. You know, what's, what's written in the Torah is, has to be taken, remember, we've got four levels of analysis in the Torah. And this correlates with the four worlds. When we talk about the four worlds, this is a Kabbalistic model of existence relating to Tzimtzum. Remember, we're not talking about four different places and we're saying those are the four worlds. We're talking about light being progressively compacted till it becomes the material world. Right? What, what, is, what is materiality? Materiality is compressed light. Right? So that's, that's the big joke to, to someone who says, I'm not spiritual. It's like, what do you mean you're not... Your compacted light. All, all, all this world is is compacted light. Everything is spiritual, you know? See, so many people have this um, false paradigm in their mind, which is there's the material world and there's the spiritual world. And they think it's two different things. And then they think, okay, I'm in the material world, that I embrace the spiritual world. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Let's put that off to the side. It's one continuum. The spiritual world morphs or is compacted into the material world. It's one continuum. It's all one. 
So, so Hashem made the world in this way. He gave us His light. He compressed His light. And there are four major checkpoints in terms of the condensation or the compacting of light. And regarding these four checkpoints, we refer to them as the four worlds. They're just four different, like, differences as the world becomes more and more material, if you will, from, from light to materiality. That's called the four worlds. Those four worlds correlate with four different ways of understanding the Torah in terms of levels of depth. Okay, the word, it's a very interesting word in Hebrew. Um, you take the first level, the first letter of each of the words, and it spells the word pardes. Pardes means a, an orchard, or like a very beautiful garden. But do you hear the word, the English word paradise, in pardes? This is, I'm sure, where the word paradise comes from. Pardes. And it's, it's, it's appropriate that it should relate to analysis that paradise, the word paradise, should come from levels of analysis of the Torah. Because pardes, the, each letter of the word pardes stands for a different level of analysis. You have pshat. Pshat means the basic level of the text. The basic meaning of the text. Then you have the, the resh, the R of pardes, stands for remes, which means it's hinting at another section of the Torah because the entire Torah is one. Then you have the Dalid, the D of Pardes, which stands for Drush, which means the homiletical interpretations, meaning to say that you use the verse in the Torah as a springboard to discuss a topic related to that. Okay, it's kind of like Remez, but it's a little bit different. And then, here's the interesting part. What's the Samach, the the S of Pardes, that stands for Sod. Those are the secrets of the Torah. That's the more mystical, Kabbalistic level. And I heard some, someone very great, I, I'm forgetting who, but someone very great said the following. If you try to understand Torah without the secrets of the Torah, in other words, if you lose the Sod, the Samach of Pardes, and you just do the first three letters, it spells the word Perid, which means donkey. <laughs> Which means that if you dismiss the secret mystical level of the Torah and you don't understand that that's tied to the macro understanding of everything that we're talking about, you've got a donkey level understanding of existence. But they all have to go together. You see, if you only, bless you, if you only have this so secret level, then you're a donkey in a different way. <laughs> right? You can't, you can't just grab one. It's, it's the totality of all of them. Um, so, so the Torah never leaves its basic level of understanding, the pshat level, the first level. So we, we did something wrong, and the Torah was, the tablets were smashed. They were taken away from us. That, that, that has to be understood as a, as a basic truth as well. But we're going a little bit deeper right now. And we're sort of explaining that God gave it to us in this very sort of beautiful way. First he gave it to us, then he took it from us to show us the importance of it so that we would really value it. And now all of a sudden we've got vessels to hold it. Because remember, the ark was only made for the second tablets. Finally, after all of that experience, after we finally lost the Torah, then we realized, wow, I want the Torah. 
Now that I really want the Torah in a way that I didn't want it before, now I have a vessel to hold it. And this was the vessel for the, the second tablets. But now let's get to the point. Let's go deeper right now. Once we made that ark for the second tablets, that's where the smash tablets went. See, all of a sudden, now we had a place to hold the first tablets. So let me put that in the language of every day of our lives, because again, I'm talking about our lives right now. You see what it is? There's certain opportunities that were given in life that we that we weren't mature enough for whatever reason. Not in a judgmental way. It's just it's just whatever it is. We just we weren't ready to to hold the opportunity when it came the first time. And then that that gets smashed. Those are the first luchos. Those are the first tablets. But you know something? If we stay in it, and we're serious, and we stay and we stay in it. All of a sudden we get another opportunity. And now we have a vessel to hold it. And now listen to this. Here's the point. Not only do we have a vessel to hold that second opportunity, now we have a vessel that makes sense of everything that led up to that, up that second chance. Now we have a place to put all of the brokenness that didn't exist before. Because before we were just dwelling in the brokenness. We didn't know what to do with the brokenness. But now finally when we get it together and we make an ark and we've got that second chance and we're ready for that second chance, now all of a sudden our past and all the brokenness of our past has a place to go. Because we realize it was all leading up to this moment. You know, we're... Really, we're going to blink and it's going to be Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. We're going to blink and we're going to be holding the Lulav in Esri. And, you know, there's different um, traditions of how you shake the, the Lulav in the Esri. Um, according to the Ashkenaz tradition, very interesting, when you point the Lulav behind you, see, you're pointing it in six directions, and in each direction you're saying one of these words, Thank God for He's good. His kindness endures forever. So interesting, according to the tradition of Ashkenaz, when you point behind you, behind you is your past. You say the word tov. It's good. See, because a lot of times, you don't understand the goodness of your past until you're able to look back on it. In the moment, it just feels like a horror show. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh, right? But it's like we've all been through it in different in our in our in our different ways. But then sometimes Hashem opens up our eyes where we can look at where we are in our present day, and then we look behind and we go, "Okay, now now I have vessels to hold it. Now I finally have vessels to hold it." So. So Elul, this month is really a lot about making these vessels. To hold the new light that's going to be coming down for the new world. For, for, the, for the new world that's about to be created. See, what we say is, by, by Rosh Hashanah, 
we say when 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 the new year comes, we're saying that that God is bringing a new light into the world. It's a brand new light. And we have to have vessels to hold this new light. That's what we're constructing right now. See, there's a new opportunity that's coming. We're going we're about to get our new year delivered to us. But before God gives us our new year, he goes, "Okay, let's see how have you been doing? What have you been doing with all the opportunities that I've been giving you? What have you been doing with all the talents that you were born with?" What kind of vessels have you made for yourself? Because according to the type of vessels that you've made for yourself, that's the type of light that God is going to shine into us and shine into us collectively as a world. So it's it's pretty exciting. It's very very exciting. So we want to make good vessels. So how do you make good vessels? So So, here's a way of understanding. I, I like this example because it seems very real to me. So, you know, I, I work in television. And, um, so imagine an actor comes up to me and says, Hey, you know something? You know, what I, what I really want to do is, I want to do this, um, I'd love to do this scene where I'm, I'm juggling. And I'm juggling all sorts of, like complex things and it'll be really a great scene and you know the whole episode can build up to it and it's going to be really spectacular right so so as a as a producer the first thing I would ask this actor is do you know how to juggle (laughs) and if the actor says no (laughs) then I go okay (laughs) And the truth is, I'm probably not going to write this scene, most likely, not going to write this scene into the script with them having this very elaborate juggling scene, right? So imagine, imagine they say, you know something? I say, hey, that sounds like a great scene. Do you know how to juggle? And they go, man, I've been taking classes for years. I'm really, let me, you, you got a minute? I'll show you right now. You know, there I see. There's a watermelon on your table there, and there's a there's a bowling ball, and there's a you know, a, you know, one of those what do they call those those electric saws, those chainsaws, right? Those are what the that's what the like the real guys do with bowling balls and chainsaws, and and you know, here's a, a bowling pin, you know what I mean? And it's like, wow, this is amazing. Okay, we're gonna write an incredible scene for you. This is gonna be great. This is gonna be a great episode. Um. What's what's the, what's the, a step below that? A step below that would be do you, um, do you know how to juggle? You know what? I've, I've been taking classes. Um, I, I do. I'm, I'm getting good at it. I I'm not quite at the level that I want to be yet, but but I can do it pretty well. And with a little bit more work, I can get there. Then it would be okay. That's interesting. You know, maybe we'll do it. We'll see. We'll see how you get your skills up. Okay, why am I talking about juggling? Because there's certain... See, the amazing thing, I, I learned this from Rabbi Aaron, I'm putting it in my own words, but, but, but basically, there is this amazing relationship between God and us, and almost like a, an executive producer of a TV show, 
and the, and the actors in the show that that before see a writer normally speaking just writes and then that's your assignment but but God is a little bit different God consults with us and he says okay what part do you want <laughs> these are our prayers of Rosh Hashanah these are these are where we say God, this year I want a great job and I want to get married and I want to have kids and I, you know, I want to whatever, buy a house and I want to learn more Torah, whatever the things that people, you know, and I, or I need, a, I need to, my health to get better like this, this year, you know. So, so, so God consults with us and he wants to know what, what do you want your part to be in this new script? What do you want? To, what part should I write for you in this new year? So, so we can say, like, I want to be, you know, I, I would really like, um, I would like to run the Federal Reserve in Washington D.C. <laughs> wow, that's awesome! Have you have you ever taken an economics class? Not n- not yet, no. Okay, all right. I heard your prayer. <laughs> you know, you know, however, I'm sure God would say it very diplomatically. <laughs> but you know, how about how about this version? And I'm just I'm just giving examples, you know, just to try to make a point, you know. So I I, I want to be a dad. Well, what are you doing? Well, you know something? I've been I've got nieces and nephews. I've got cousins. I've been babysitting. I've been like working with them. I've been, you know, volunteering over here. I've been a. They've got these big brother programs. I I I, I sign on to be a big brother, a big sister, whatever it is. Oh wow, you're really working to be a dad. That's really awesome. You're make, you're building this vessel to be a dad. That's like that's incredible. You know what? I, I you know I want to get married. What are you doing? I'm, I'm been going to the gym. I've been trying to eat well. You know I've been trying to you know. Just take care of my appearance and, and all, all sorts of things like this, you know? Okay. Okay. This is meaningful. This is this is called building a vessel. This is called building a vessel. And um, you know, I it's sort of an embarrassing story, but I'll tell it because I think it illustrates a, a point about El. So um it was this very special opportunity that we have. So, so uh, my wife, not so long ago, had her 40th birthday, and I just was really late in getting her a present. And the type of present that I really wanted to get her to really that I felt would appropriately mark the occasion, I just didn't have a good idea. And then after I didn't have a good idea for a long enough period of time, I ran out of time. And now it was sort of like, okay, the pressure is on. <laughs> I've got to really come through here, or this is not going to be great. So I really, I, I just, I didn't have anything great to give her. I just didn't. So, but I thought of some things that were thoughtful, sort of, kind of like, just thoughtful enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was the best I could do, basically, given the time and whatever. So I, I got these three things. But then I got a really good idea. <laughs> and this is why I'm telling you. There, there's a place 
here uh, nearby. I'll, I'll say the name of the store because they, they deserve credit. It's called the Paper Source. And they've got them around the country. And they have wrapping paper, which is like, it looks, if, if you put this, if you use this wrapping paper as wallpaper, you would imagine that this could be a palace, like actually a palace. I mean, it's such high quality and it's so beautiful and so intricate. And they've got many designs. And if you pay them, and it's not cheap, <laughs> they will wrap the present for you. And it's like, I've watched them wrap presents. I've paid them to wrap presents before. It's like watching like an origami class, right? I mean, the, the corners and the sharpness and just the, the folds. I mean, they're magnificent. The way they tie the bows, it's awesome. So I took my pretty three pretty good presents <laughs> to this store. And, and they wrap them like these would be gifts for like an emperor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they were so beautiful. They were beautiful. And I gave them to my wife and I, she didn't even open them. She was like, I love these. She's like, Thank you. This is so great. And, you know, there was so much goodwill that there, there was a momentum to the goodwill for when she actually saw the gifts. They were like, well, you know. But it, you, I had already won. You know what I mean? She felt loved, which was the point of the presence anyway, right? Just that she should feel loved. And, and she did. She did. So, so why am I telling you this whole story? Because... You see, what's, what's the last thing you do with a present? The last thing you do is where you wrap it, right? So what's the last thing you do with a year before you give your year as a present to God? You wrap it. What is the wrapping paper? That's what we do in Elul. That's, that's the last month of the year. This is the chance to, even if you had a medium year, right? You have the chance to wrap it in something truly beautiful when you present it to God on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That's something that we can all do. So this is like, this is about this is about you see the Ishbitzer Rebbe says what is the fixing of Elul? I learned this from Reb Shlomo. What is the fixing of Elul? He says, to fix all the things you're doing right. So it sounds a little surprising, right? Normally speaking, why do I have to fix them if I'm doing them right? You fix what you're doing wrong. You don't fix what you're doing right. But listen to what he's saying. It's very, very deep. So the way Reb Shlomo says it is, these things that you're already doing, are you doing them with all of your heart? So you, we start with the things that we're already doing, and then we do them with all of our heart. And if we do them with all of our heart, that's the wrapping paper. See, I once, I once thought of an example. It's, it's kind of, 
to me, it's, this is kind of like a heartbreaking example. So imagine there's a guy, the groom, the chassan, at a wedding, right? He's at his wedding. And he can tell you absolutely everything about this wedding. He can tell you how many guests there are. And he can tell you how much each guest costs to invite. And he can tell you how many tables there are. And he can tell you the entire menu. And he can tell you the band and what their playlist is going to be. And he can even tell you what time he has to be out of the hall so they're not charged for overages, right? He says, but you know something? I only have one question. There's only one thing that I don't know. Which of these people did I marry? See, can you imagine someone who knows absolutely everything except the one thing he needs to know? See, the world is like that today. The world knows so much today. We're so smart. The world knows everything except the fact that there's a God. <laughs> and a God who loves us. Everything else we know except the one thing that we need to know. So that's, that's a game changer in a relationship. You see, if I'm, if I'm an employee, if I'm, if I'm an employee all year, then I'm, I'm clocking in, I'm clocking out, I'm taking my vacation days, this is my time, this is not your time, right? There's like real boundaries, right? Someone talks to me like that, I'm going to HR, right? It's a very business relationship. I've got these mitzvahs, these things I have to do, these things I'm not supposed to do. Okay. But if we think that, if we get to Elul and we get to Rosh Hashanah, and we think that that's all there is to our relationship with God, then we're no better than the person who says, I can tell you every single thing about this wedding except one thing. Which one of these people did I marry? If we don't understand that the person, not the person, but the one, the only one who we've been doing everything for, who made the entire world, who made all of us, that that's the one who we've been doing all of this for the entire time, the one who loves us the most and the one who we love the most, then we're in, I don't know where we are, you know? You know, I have a friend of mine, he's, he's a very gifted uh, writer-producer. And he, he kind of does this, I heard him do this kind of, he was joking around one time, we were learning Torah together, and he was kind of joking around. See, according to, if you look in Parsha's Yisra, right, that's when the Torah was given the first time. And of course, there were awesome miracles. Our, God spoke, our souls flew out of our body, then we were all brought back from the dead, and then God spoke again, and our souls flew out of our bodies again, and God brought us all back from the dead, and the mountain burst on fire, and the flowers bloomed in the middle of the desert, and we heard colors and saw words. I mean, it was 
this amazing, amazing, amazing experience, like beyond, 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 and two and a half million people experience this simultaneously. So, according to Rashi and many of the commentators, Moshe's wife, Zipporah, came with her father, Yisro, after the Torah was given. So, you know, he was kind of joking around, like, um, sometimes, like, you come late to an event. And, you know, he was sort of playing the parts. He was, like, playing support. She was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. Did I miss anything? <laughs> okay, catch me up. Okay, I know, I know. We got, I know, I know. But I'm here now. What I miss? Tell me what I missed. I can't. No, 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 just... We have time. Just, just tell me. I <laughs> you, you can't. You can't. It was an experience. It was an experience. We can read about it. We can talk about it. But being there. So that's 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 what it is. At this point in the year, there has to be that moment where we're at Mount Sinai now. You see, it's not just Moshe Rabbeinu who's going up for the second Luchos. We're at Mount Sinai. We're all at Mount Sinai right now. We're all tapping into the, the true essence of what that relationship is right now. And that's, that's the transformative experience. You know, if a, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a worker comes up to his boss and asks for a special privilege, you know, maybe the boss will give it to him, maybe he won't. I guess it depends on a bunch of things. But if a child goes up to their father, who's also the boss, <laughs> and asks for a special privilege, it's a different situation, right? So, so that's we have to make sure that we're not just on automatic pilot with our checklists going into Rosh Hashanah. That we're using this Elul. Remember, Elul is the first letters of Ani Ladodi Vidodi Li. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. The whole month is talking about that special relationship. And you know something? I want to double back to something that I said earlier. You know, I was talking about how we didn't have vessels to hold those first tablets. And that if you actually put yourself in the shoes, Right, the sandals, so to speak, of, of 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 the Jews of that day who were going through that experience, they they just psychologically may have actually have a, a very, you know, good excuse basically, which is like, hey, wait a second, you know, I've been a slave, and all of a sudden, God, you show up. Like, how am I supposed to integrate that into what I've been through my whole life, my parents' life, my, my grandparents' life? But God made the whole world. God has always been there. <laughs> God, God didn't just show up. That, that's the point. Even in that example. God didn't just show up. God has always been here. And He's always been with us. And there's moments of revelation and there's moments of hiddenness. But this is all part of the evolution of the world. See, the Bashem Tov talks about our relationship with God like a, a young child teaching a young child to walk. When a, when a young child first begins to walk, 
you hold its hands, and then you see it's getting some strength. So you let go, and you let it take a step or two, and you move a little bit more backwards. Then when you see the child can walk even better, you, you move even further backwards. So isn't that funny? It seems like you're distancing yourself more and more from the child. But why? For only one reason, allowing the child to grow more and more. Right? So there are moments in our life where it feels like God isn't present. But that's not because God isn't there or God abandoned us. God is giving us that room because he wants us to grow in this situation, whatever that situation is. But he's, he's watching us the whole time, and he's right there. And if we fall, he's there to pick us up. So let's just wrap it up. We mentioned that this is the first day of the month of Elul, and, and today we, we blew the chauffeur for the first time. There's endless, endless, endless explanations of what the chauffeur is. But I just want to say maybe one more thing, which is that God, a chauffeur doesn't have any words. That's kind of the point of the chauffeur. It's kind of beyond words. And on one level, it's a reminder to us that God hears us even when we don't have the words. He still hears us. Now for some questions and answers. Mm. Um, Shkoya, usual thank you. Thank you. Thank you, David. Um, So I have a question I don't really want to ask, but I feel like I have to ask it. It came up, and it came up very strongly yesterday when I was... uh, at shul, yeah. uh, looking at the Torah, and um, when I was coming in, I came in a few minutes late today, and I heard you talking, maybe a little bit addressing certain elements of this point, so I hope I'm not yeah. making you repeat something, but uh, there was a section yesterday in the Torah that was saying how if uh, a, a friend or a brother, or even like your wife, would say words to bring you away from the Torah, that you're supposed to kill them. And then the next line is like, you're supposed to put them with stones, you know? And I know that the Torah, there's different levels of understanding, and if you read it just on one level, it's a, you're, you could be reading it totally incorrectly. But it was just there in the English translation, just so, so clear. <coughs> and it was so hard to process or accept that. Um, it, it, it's it, it's so you know it's so hard. I don't know. I don't. Know to, I don't know what to do with it. It feels like that is so counter. Every, almost every every other Jew that I'm connected to is sort of so sweet, and they're they're yeah. such a, they're such amazing, we're such amazing, beautiful people. And yet there's this there's this this thing there that's like okay, that's the uh, how how do I integrate that in my life in a way that makes yeah. any any sense? Okay, so it's a it's a it's a great question, and and. Let me broaden the question, and then we'll go back to the specifics of it, okay? There are are many instances, not just this one, this is me broadening it, just to make, in in a way, the question even stronger, if you will. Um, There are many instances in the Torah that, that where the Torah says that the 
that the uh, consequence is capital punishment. And there are different types of capital punishment. You mentioned stoning, that's, that's one of the... By the way, stoning was, was not throwing rocks at a person. It was that a person should be tied to a boulder and they'd fall off a high place. And so that, the fall would kill them. So maybe doesn't make that big a difference, but it's, it's, <laughs> maybe it's, 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 a, it's a little quicker anyway. It's a little quicker. So, for better or for worse. But um, anyway, but that's not the point. The point is, is that this is not the only offense that there's capital punishment for. There's, there's many offenses that there's capital punishment for. But we have no capital punishment today because we have no Sanhedrin today. So none of these things are, we don't, we, none of these things um, are judiciable. Uh, there's no, they're not in practice today. Now, what about in a time when they were in practice, though, right? So, so for those things, you need to have, the person had to be warned before they did it. And then they had to be warned uh, at least one time in advance before they did it. Then they had to be warned before they did it the actual time. And there had to be two witnesses not related to each other seeing the act as it happened. And in certain capital offenses, that's a, that would take a very precise level of looking. Um, and, and they had to see it and everything like this. Okay, so then let's even say that you have that. So in other words, the circumstances, even the pr in the presence of a, the existence of a Sanhedrin, the capital punishment was very, very rare. Now the Talmud itself says that a sen, a Beisdin, like a, you know, a judicial, Jewish judicial body of law, that executed one person in 70 years was called a bloody Sanhedrin. One person in 70 years was called blood. So, so God knew how hard it would be to actually apply this punishment, right? Because he's the one who created these rules. So it seems like God was not trigger happy even though you have all these things that, 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 that demand capital punishment, at the same time, though, you see God is not trigger happy because he made it almost impossible for that death sentence to be administered. So then you have to ask, then why is God making it capital punishment to begin with? Right? And it's because he wants you to know, he wants us to know, please don't do that. I really don't like that. So, so that's how I would understand it. God is making it, you see, because we're told in, in Pirkei Avos that we have to treat the most, um, the largest mitzvahs, the ones that seem the most important, with the same level of attentiveness as the small ones. So that we treat them all the same. And yet, it seems God is telling us, even within that framework, there's certain things I don't dig, man. Don't do them. I don't like it. I want you to see the oneness of everything. 
And if you're walking around saying, no, this is a God, and that's a God, and this is a God, and oh yeah, this is holy too, and that's holy too, God said, I don't like it. it. It's uprooting this sense of oneness. So you say, no, 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 I'm showing oneness. I'm showing oneness by saying, this is holy, and that's holy, and that's holy. And God says, you know what? I hear you. Don't do it that way. We want there to be universal clarity about what the one source of oneness is. And it's only getting muddied when we're talking about other gods and other powers. And it's uprooting the whole consciousness of the oneness of the world that I've created. So that's, that's where the severity of that goes. Because it's one of those things, in the instance that you brought up, that's really undermining one of the main, main points of all of creation. You know, it's really, it, it's a bit mysterious. I mean, it seems that we did have the vessels. It seems that we did, and we were ready on, on in, in a very big way. It says that we were like one person with one heart. That was, that's the greatest vessel you can have. And we said, whatever you say, God, you don't even have to tell us. We're already going to do it, and then tell us. So that's as you were saying, Nasevanishma. So we were in a fantastic place to receive that first Torah, those first set of tablets. But for some reason, when the golden calf was erected and worshipped, it didn't trigger the response from the rest of the Jewish people to stop it. There was an effort to stop it. Hur, who is the father of Betzalel. Betzalel is the one who ends up making the, the, the Mishkan, which is a fixing for the sin of the golden calf. So Betzalel, the chief architect of the fixing of the golden calf, his father, Betzalel's father, was Hur. Hur tried to stop the worshipping of the golden calf and they killed him. They murdered him on the spot. Get out of the way. <laughs> killed him. So, so there, was, there was an attempt to stop, but not a big enough attempt. So this is something we have to really think about. We have to really think about this because... With all the preparation that we did, which seems to have been fairly massive, somehow the fact that there was wrongdoing in our midst and we didn't react in a meaningful way, whatever that way would have been most appropriate, we didn't react in a meaningful way. And we said, okay, that's just those guys, whatever. Uh, people are going to do what they're going to do. Ah. Somehow that undermined it in, 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 in a way that we just didn't appreciate in the moment. And it's a strange perspective because it seems like a seems like something small, 
But for whatever reason, in God's eyes, it really wasn't. So, is it? Are you? Is there a question? Are you asking I'm a question? Asking I'm, I'm, a question I'm, 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 yeah. of how to yeah. understand that. How to understand the idea that the physical body does end up being an entity on its own? Yeah, because we have techiasimesim. So, in other words, you have the resurrection of of the dead, which is you know a very core Jewish principle that that we're all going to rise up, basically, we're going to rise up as a people, and so. So you have, the, you have the idea that at the end of 120 within our individual lives, the soul ascends, and there you have the, there you have the soul, right? I mean, it's, it's interesting because in the body itself, you, we say each person is a miniature universe. So, so here you have in the soul itself, you have the soul, which is spiritual, and then you have the body, which is material. So you have a, an aspect of tzimtzum, you know, this compacting of the light of the soul into the physical body. You have a sort of a model for that just in, inside yourself, you know. So, so the soul flies out after 120. And then when, when Mashiach comes at the, at the end of that era, we rise up and the, and the body is back in business. Which again is a, is a beautiful thing because... Um, 
you know, people don't talk about this so much, but, but part of the goal of Judaism is, is that we should sanctify our bodies as well. It's not just that the body is this, you know, this, you know, very high-tech, amazing, you know, piece of packaging for the soul, but that the body itself has uh, a spiritual integrity too, and that our flesh itself can become holy. You know, that's, that's, that's an amazing thing. Um, and that, that actually is the end game of, of creation, where the, the, the body takes on a holiness that just the soul has right now, for the most part. 